Welcome to the Sonic Collective. On this special episode, we'll get to know a very talented musician currently living in Western Canada. From early days in the Calgary bar scene, building his name as a solo artist, to playing with two supporting players, singer-songwriter Will has built a loyal following many musicians would love to have. In this fickle business, what's kept him going for so many years? What does he still love about music? And what's next? From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me for this interview is... Darren Scott from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Hey, man. We're really excited, I I know, to do this. You know, we've talked to Alan Cross, we've talked to Sam Roberts, and doing these kind of focused musician episodes is is kind of extra fun for us because, you know, self-admittedly, it's kind of a bit of fan work. I think we like the people we've talked to. What is your earliest memory of Will? Yeah, I I know. And we've been talking a little bit lately about the kind of the working musician. And my earliest memories are, uh, Scott, both you and I were in the bar scene in Mm -hmm. the 90s in Calgary. And that is where Will kind of cut his teeth playing. And uh, I remember him at a few different locations. For me, one was uh, the Barley Mill in Calgary. And there was also Kaylee's uh, Pub, where he played quite a bit, and uh, the Vicious Circle. So he was in, uh, those were popular locations in the 90s here in Calgary. And he was just a fun one-man show with a lot of covers and some of his own originals. And it was just great. That was my first memories. What about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. I was a bartender and DJ at a place called the Rattlesnake Saloon, where I believe the keg on McLeod Trail is now. I think Will worked in the restaurant and bar industry at that time, and he came in as a one one man, you know, show he'd set up, and he would just I remember absolutely play the shit out of it. He would take a room full of people that weren't there to see him, didn't know who he was, to probably within thirty minutes, like standing up and cheering. And even now, I don't know if I have seen a performer that has quite the amount of energy and crowd engagement that Will had. Like he would break strings, which he's famous for. He'd have drinks. And man, he just create a, a serious, serious following and, and a love. I mean, I still really like the guy. I own all his albums. So I'm really delighted to catch up with him. The last time I saw him play was about nine years ago at a private wedding function. And uh, yeah, I'm really keen to hear what he has to say. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, I saw him, but I think three years ago at the Ironwood here in Calgary, and okay. hopefully that can reopen soon. But yeah, you know what? Let's get to the man himself. Why don't you do a, an introduction and let's get Will to join us now. Originally from Quebec, Canada, Will Mimna, or Will as he's known on stage, has been wowing fans for more than 20 years. His unique, very full acoustic sound combined with wild live performances and a propensity for breaking strings has made him a musical legend, especially in Western Canada. He joins us online from his home just north of Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island to share the journey that is his musical life. Thanks for joining us, Will. Hello, hello, and thank you. Awesome. Well, we're going to start right at the beginning. And I'm curious, tell us where are you originally from and, and what was it like growing up as a young kid? Wow, that's there's so much to answer in that question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, won't, I, will, uh, I won't be long-winded with it. Born in Quebec, Elmer, Elmer, Quebec was where I was raised, born in Sherbrooke. Moved out into Calgary, Alberta around 1980. Not a cliche story, maybe, but a story based on my father looking for a better life for his family, basically. And uh, he was a heavy-duty mechanic. We were just uh, a wonderful family of, at the time, two siblings and my mother and father. Raised on music, raised on uh, Friday night parties uh, with our family. Yeah, just overall, it was one of those things that you don't realize how you what you cut your teeth on or with until you get older in life. And you reflect back on where you came from 
if that makes any sense, especially when you yeah. lose things along the way. You lose a lot of um, inhibitions uh, or, or ideas of, of inhibitions that you had, and uh, especially people that you lose. So it's very reflective when you get older. And I'm 50 now, so hmm. it's really easy for me to go back to where, back to your question about where I'm from, how how I grew up, and uh, yeah, and ultimately Calgary, Alberta, and uh, now on Vancouver Island, way fast forward. Long-winded uh, answer to your question, but I hope it's pretty accurate. Perfect. Yeah, and Will, just to fast forward, I guess, from your youth youth, uh, what music were you listening to in your teenage years? Teenage years, wow. That was that was a hell of a time because I know everyone has a very proud flag to fly when you're young. We do that, especially as we get older. We, we want to brag more about how much we were involved with the Smiths or the Dead Kennedys or whatever we whatever flag we flew. And I got to say, when I was uh, a teen, preteen to teenager, I was so confused that I was inundated and accepting of everything. And I hung out with all of the headbangers, skaters, all the punks and jocks. And it was a real Ferris Bueller story. And so I was, I, my teenage years were inundated with the likes of SNFU or Benny Goodman or Iron Maiden or Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed, even Nina Simone or obviously Michael Jackson and well, Van Halen. It was it was a really unbelievable time personally because there wasn't anything that I was so invested in that defined who I was as much as I floated around with so many cliques and, and genres of uh, types of individuals that I became a sponge, but I didn't know then that I was becoming a sponge. I was just sort of lost. Now, you just mentioned a really wide swath of artists. Do you feel like all those have influenced you? Or are there certain bands and artists that have kind of formed your musical sound and who you are as an artist? I would have to attribute it to literally all of, all of them or all of it. There was a time when I guess I'd first listened to Nevermind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols record. And having that as an album, only wondering how that's possible. And uh, much like many people who had ever heard that and wondered, how do you play a, how do you play a bass? How do you play a, a guitar? How do you sing? So I think being so enamored by all of that, any genre again, any any style or or, or piece of music, it just ends up in, ingrained into who you are at some point. Especially with my parents being so supportive of of all of it, my mother would play Bonnie Bonnie M uh, at the top of the like <laughs> at the top of the the, the ability of that hi fi system during Christmas with the windows open while we're cleaning the house, <laughs> listening to this, listening to that back to that Friday night kitchen parties that my parents had when I was growing up. Father played guitar and sang. My mother uh, sang with him, and they sang the Bee Gees, and then of course Simon and Garfunkel and uh, great artists of their of their their time, but the most amazing thing about my parents is I could play them something out of left field, and they would sit and listen to it front to back with me and understand why I enjoyed it or ask me why I enjoyed it versus just judging it. So again, a long winded answer, but the influences of all of those genres of music that I'd cut my teeth on and with, I would only hope they're part of everything that I do. That's awesome. I'm from the East Coast, so I like the kitchen party reference. Yeah, no, there you go. No, for sure. It's it's what a wonderful that alone as a a tradition in music. Like, oh my god, mm. having done shows back east, having done Stanfest, 
you know, mm, yeah. uh, like been on those stages with those people and having definitely toured with or opened with bands from that world. Just, it's a no brainer, you know? Yeah, it's fun. So, I mean, we're on like, now you're talking about live music. So what are your earliest memories of concerts that really impacted you and bands that you saw live? That's a great question because it's a tough one to answer for any artist who potentially hadn't known what they were watching, if that makes any sense to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of one of those things like if my dad took me to Zeppelin when I was 11, I wouldn't have known any better, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Yeah, but as far as my purest answer, I'm going to go straight to um, Iron Maiden, Saddle Dome. Nice. Uh, um, it would have been, I believe, the Somewhere in Time tour. There was a, a couple of folks that I worked in a mall with when I was working at the music store, there was a gal, Michelle, that worked at the lottery booth, and her husband at the time, they were just old enough, older than I was to just show me a little bit more of the way about music. Uh, Michelle's husband was a thrash metal speed demon guitar player motherfucker. And, and it was amazing to me because I was just playing acoustic guitars, you know? And then they took me under their wing and brought me to the Saddle Dome to watch Iron Maiden. I, I'm just coming up with that uh, now as a reference or a memory, and I, I'm so appreciative of it. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. I just They were just in Calgary here two years ago, and I saw them for the first time, and it still blew my mind. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. but they, they purposely, like, all the shots were backed off so you couldn't see them close up to how old they were. They, but they were running around the stage great. They still rock. Iron Maiden still puts on a great show. Yeah, Oh, that's, that's not, that's amazing to hear. And how, I, I mean, how could they not? Because you've often, obviously they're a band that doesn't, they wouldn't do what they did if they couldn't do what they do. If that mm -hmm. makes, if that makes any sense, because that's how they, how they came up. They didn't come up based on hype and a bunch of bullshit or a radio hit single. They were not on radio. They had not seen radio play other than college radio. They played the shit out of the world. They played shows. Mm -hmm. They fundamentally hundreds and hundreds, yes. uh, thousands, mm -hmm. thousands. Absolutely, they they just played. It's like shut the fuck up and play. That was applicable to that band. They yeah. were not. They were not in, invested in how many t-shirts they sold and who thought they were cool. They were just into playing, and that's really admirable. And and. Uh, I really dig that about them. Well, that kind of dovetails into the next thing I was curious about, Will. Like, it sounds like you grew up in a musical family. Your dad's playing. There's Boney M at Christmas. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. you're playing growing up as a teenager. What got you to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to play in public for someone now. Like, I'm ready to do a public gig. How did you get to that point? I guess that would be, wow. There was a moment where I was a waiter at on south southport earls i remember that okay nice. <laughs> awesome that was like the last hurrah of some great amazing people in the restaurant business that went on to own and operate their own places which was highly influential for me as a as a person who didn't realize they were they were extroverted uh i always thought i was introverted and then i got a job at earls as a waiter and became realized i was an extrovert I realized that I wasn't so closed in. I wasn't such a basement dweller that sat with Pink Floyd and a classical guitar and tried to play along to it, and that was it. Basically, uh, Jeff Hanna at the time was a manager. He had caught wind of me playing guitar somehow. I don't remember how. 
and had asked me at a staff meeting to sing uh, a tragically hip song. Um, <laughs> and I think it was like boots, boots, boots are hearts, boots, hearts. boots and hearts. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That, that rings a bell for sure. Um, boots are hearts at the staff meeting. And, uh, I just thought it was the bee's knees as it, as, as it, as it was. I was just flabbergasted with the response of the people in the staff meeting. I don't know how I came to know the song, to be honest with you, because I was, I guess, just practicing covers. Shortly thereafter, it was um, uh, just waitering, and then uh, on it goes, and then I'm serving a, a, a table of a bunch of guys from a, a place called Leon's Furniture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was that way, I guess I was a waiter that would. Uh, would be really good for your table, but not great at all at having more than one table. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, I would get in. The, I would be in the weeds quickly. Um, <laughs> but if I if if I was engaged with you, you had the best experience you could imagine, right? I was met by these gentlemen from Leon's furniture furniture <laughs> warehouse. I'd been asked if I would mind wouldn't mind working there right from the table. Eret Reinhardt, I believe, was his name, uh, and Bram Ashwell. They were uh, gentlemen involved with Leon's. I think uh, Eret Reinhardt was the the manager at the time. Long story short, he says, "Gosh, I really dig your you. Uh, here's my card. Call me if you want to change your career." And I'm, you know, eighteen or whatever, nineteen years old. I took him up on it. Went to Leon's, started selling televisions, <laughs> and then fast forward to a church. Uh, for Reinhard Eretz, uh, or uh, Eret Reinhard or Reinhard Eret. Gosh, I I hate getting those backwards. But he had asked me to, if I wanted to sing songs at his church, so I I showed up and sang like Crash Test Dummies, <laughs> mm. uh, and with an acoustic guitar. And from that moment on, I I ended up at Kaylee's, and uh, that was the big moment of like, here's here's some fucking people who didn't come here to be polite and. Pay, I'm not paying you to be here. They don't care who you are and where you're from. They're not going to be nice. They're here to drink, so sing songs. <laughs> and uh, it was a it was a wonderful like wow you know moment. So I was lucky enough to be bartending at the Rattlesnake Saloon on McLeod Trail, which is no longer there. And I believe that was like when you were kind of starting to play bar gigs. So can you just kind of tell us, you mentioned Kaylee's, like, what was it like starting out and building your reputation in the Calgary bar scene in those early, early days? Like, there's no easy answer to that. It was, all I can refer to is you fill your vehicle up with gear, you go set up in a bar with your with all of your shit, and you mix yourself from your stage with a little eight-channel mixer. You turn a volume knob up, and you sing into a microphone with a guitar plugged into a DI that meet two speakers that face people <laughs> who, who you've never seen or could care less that you're there. That bizarre sort of... Um, interaction right there it's no different than if like if you just walked into a bar and pulled your pants down and said does anybody want free popcorn <laughs> you know and you're gonna get somebody some people think it's amusing or it's cute or some people who are offended and why are your pants down and i don't fucking like popcorn i'm allergic to popcorn <laughs> and like it's just the response could be all over the map especially nowadays right that was a time when you just you haul your shit into a place you set up and people are already there, and they're already digging in. They're enjoying their their conversations, you know? Like, that's what 
speakeasies are all about you know <laughs> the the pubs the bars the social haunts they're they're for us to 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 kick back and relax and and enjoy each other's company so if someone's about to set a bunch of shit up in the corner and start yelling into a microphone a song about their feelings while they play through it especially if it's some a song that I'm aware of and they're covering it you'd better be prepared for the worst experience you could possibly imagine or one of the greatest ones you'll ever experience based on the response of those people that you've never met that's all i can equate it to it's just it's such a crapshoot so now you know you've done the bar scene you've done the cover scene you're working on your originals but you know i guess when did you first realize you wanted to be a professional musician and make a career out of it i guess the the short answer to that because i don't have short answers <laughs> but the hmm. short answer to that would be um having met my good friend Jeff Lytle, and then literally moving in with him, and his brother Bruce at the time being part of Twin Towers, which is now Six Degrees. Six Degrees is a commercial studio, Dan McManus, uh, Johnny Aquinta, and uh, at the time, uh, Ted Osler, and people that were all affiliated in this and this business had, I had just become fast and furious friends with through Jeff, been thrusted into a, a world of capable, amazing people, engineers, uh, studios. And it's like, fuck, what? Uh, okay, so I'm going to meet my friend Jeff, move in with him, meet his brother, who's a producer and an amazing, accomplished musician, a composer. And it's just like, yeah, let's go hang out at this studio for a while. We'll just hang out with each other and we'll hang out with my brother and then my brother's friends. And and on it went, and it was like this bizarre meant-to-be thing. You couldn't paint a better sort of picture to have unfold for someone who's interested in singing songs. That's where it all just sort of blossomed, and the Both Hands record was born from that and those relationships, period. Uh, let alone the title track, Both Hands, written by Jeff Lytle, nurtured by myself with him for sure he would always say that i took it somewhere further but he wrote that song and uh, that's cool. how yeah that's that's how that began and and all of a sudden i found myself no longer in a bar singing covers but i was in another bar at the other at the other end of the country singing original music for music industry people for north by northeast trying to get a record deal you've just touched on now playing on the east coast and sort of major labels what was that period and process like from going from releasing this independent album to all of a sudden getting the attention of a major label the best way to to surmise or or, or answer is when you play music everybody inherently immediately assumes that you want to be rich and famous is that fair? I think people believe that that's the reality of yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no, great, great way to say that. The one thing that I've often found fascinating is no one has ever bothered to ask anybody if they wanted to be. It's just part of what is assumed of you. If you're going to sign up with or for this, then you, therefore you want to be rich and famous, or you want to be known, you want to be a popular person. And it's hard to not have that come even by default by way of that, that industry. Totally get it. The interesting part about it is no one ever asks what is it what is it you you wish to to gain or 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 have from the experience or what do you want from this? That's never usually a common question. So when it came time to be involved with a major label, it was really amazing to sit across the desk from Dean Cameron, who was the head of EMI at the time, and he was the first person in my life that had ever asked me f to my face. What is it 
that you're looking to gain or, or achieve from this. And that was a big holy fuck moment for me personally, is to have the head of EMI sit across, after we arm wrestled, of course, which was yeah. awesome. We had to arm wrestle. It was great. For real? I, oh, yeah, for, for sure. Absolutely, 100%. Because <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was really into arm wrestling, and he was super into like just like getting into like what you like to do in your life that isn't about music. I'm being serious. Dean Cameron was basically one of the main reasons why I ended up with, with EMI. And this is the president of the company. So you wouldn't think that would necessarily come from an individual like that because he's, he must be way too busy to give a shit about you being new, but he's a father figure of a human being. And I don't care what anyone has to say about him or their relationship with him or that company. That guy was amazing. I knew I, I also knew I wasn't being played by somebody. I wasn't being charmed. I was being cared for by a human being. So yeah, we arm wrestled, we talked about it. It was just uh, when he had presented to me the question, he had, he had asked me, uh, what is it you want from this? I was so stunned and frozen in my tracks that I, had, I didn't really have a great answer for him at the time, to be honest. But reflecting back now, it's like that transition is like, all I wanted to do was play music for people and move people. That was it. I didn't want to be rich and famous and idolized. I wanted to be someone that you could prop up in that bar or on that stage and actually change somebody's day and move somebody and then look and see someone's face that is altered in a split second by something that you did and how you sang. And it meant something to them. And then you got to leave and that was it. All the other complicated, convoluted sort of keeping up with the Joneses and being famous and stuff, I couldn't care less. I just wanted to show up out of a magic hole in the bottom of a stage, get propped up, sing songs. That's it. Amazing. That is, I'm glad you had that kind of experience because you hear of an awful lot of terrible, uh, you know, label stories. So yeah, you were with the, the label for a while and then you left the label how how did you end up shaping that next stage of your career, going to a label and then leaving the label and kind of heading out and as an independent? Is an independent artist the right word? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of how I, I I went into it with that both hands record because we were completely independent at at the time when we made that album, and then EMI picked us up with that album, and then we had a wonderful run with them for five or six years. Made a by Dece the by December record with them and. After we left them, we ended up with Cordova Bay. I can't say how far after that we ended up with them as a label, but Cordova Bay was wonderful in the sense that they were there as the, they just knew that it wasn't a, a development deal. It wasn't something where we're going to nurture you into something that you don't feel comfortable with. They knew who we were and we knew who we were. So we just stayed with them for a little while. And they're wonderful because in an essence, I can't say that we're with them right now anymore, but we could always be with them again. So we've come back to being independent again. That feels really comfortable in a lot of ways, especially nowadays, but there's no hard, fast, and easy answer to what's better, to be brutally honest with you. Hmm. Um, granted, being with a major label, you incur a great deal of debt and a lot of money. As soon as money becomes part of the equation, I don't give a shit who you are. When you when you make it or you don't make when you make money or don't make money on either end of the spectrum, it changes who you are fundamentally. That's all there is to it. As as far as I know, finance 
uh, it drives and delegates uh, decisions and that way of being, and it can't possibly live with art symbiotic. It can't. It, it just doesn't work that way. Artists are artists, and they'll do anything. A true artist will do anything and give you anything to make you feel something. And then to put a value on that, blah, 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 on it goes. Is that painting with that one broad stroke of red paint worth $5 million? That's bullshit. It's so mm -hmm. subject, you know, like, and uh, how much is the river by Joni Mitchell worth? How much is it worth? What is it worth? Like, literally, I mean, yeah. I, I don't even, I can't even, I don't know, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. I know, mm -hmm. I know that when I build fences uh, as my, my job here on the island, and we do fencing for agricultural for farms and forestry and stuff. And we put massive posts and holes and stretch wire and staple fencing all day long. I know what that's worth an hour. I know what I get paid an hour to do that. But like, what's it actually worth? What's it worth to the the person who now gets a fence or my my friend who owns the business that sold them this fence? Like, it's so bizarre. Uh, well, kind of on a, a personal interest for me, I see a lot of live music in Calgary. And one thing that uh, I've kind of learned and, and known of is that Western Canada and the Northwestern United States especially is this kind of own ecosystem for bands and acts because just the distance to get anywhere else. Uh, I know you really kind of carved out a niche in Alberta and BC to start. I guess if you could maybe just go back and what was it like touring in those early days and your thoughts on this kind of Western band ecosystem? The early days things for us wasn't Western Canada though. Like to no, be honest, no, no. Um, we drove across this country uh, a few times and or end up ended up in scenarios: um, Saskatchewan, uh, Winnipeg, uh, the Ontario, the whole bit, the whole gamut. Really amazing experiences that way. As far as carving out a living goes, the Western Canada thing is. Definitely, if you want to say like Alberta, BC, specifically as you were referring to, that geographically is much easier for sure. I don't know that I can actually speak to, I'm fumbling for a, an answer more than anything because I love touring Alberta and BC. And if we could only just tour Alberta, BC <laughs> that, and make a great living doing that, that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> uh but I would. We've all always gone anywhere that we were asked to go, and we had made it happen countless times, no matter what. Uh, we were the band, and always have been the band that would open for anyone, show up anywhere that you asked us to show up, no matter if we had to fly there or drive. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we did. I guess our our path has really been carved out more so on the West Coast for sure. Like. If that helps that uh, your question. No, 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 that's good. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Your experience, you just went right across Canada right away. That's fantastic. Hard yeah. Hard working yeah. musician. Yeah. That's how it goes on this, in this, uh, uh, in this country for sure. The, uh, that, that cliche space, space between venues, right? You definitely do do the Lydia's till two thirty in the morning and then get up at 6 AM to make Winnipeg for a three o'clock load in. That's not uncommon. <laughs> Um, but that's also part of paying the dues, you know, like, uh, which is, I think, also what makes a lot of Canadian musicians pretty fucking awesome and resilient. If you can figure out how to not let alcohol or drugs or the unhealthy part of living consume too much of you when you get older with that. It's great when you're 21. 
young, dumb, full of cum ceiling is, 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 is <laughs> you have yeah. no ceiling. You're just, yeah. you're just, you're infinitely powerful. Your inhibitions, your, the prospects, the nothing's impossible. That's an amazing time to be a musician, let alone talented musician at, at 21 years of age, you know? That's a really wonderful bottled lightning thing that uh, is really respectable and cool. And I hope to see more of that in our new world. I hope that doesn't go away. You just mentioned the word resilience, Will, and you earlier in this chat mentioned that you're 50. I mean, I mm. really marvel at the will of anybody who can do something they're passionate about for a long time and make a living of it. And I've seen pictures of you in the past felling trees, working with a chainsaw. You just mentioned you build fences, right. yet you're you're still a professional musician. Like, what is that battle and grind to maintain a living and to keep doing this as a, as a, a musician in the day and age of of streaming? It seems like it just gets harder and harder. Like, what keeps you in the game and what's it like? I would have to answer that by saying that I don't I don't know that I'm in a game if if I had to be brutally honest with you and your question. The minute I've ever recognized that it was a game was when I detached and I was disappointed. And as soon as I'm naive enough to realize it isn't one, I put everything into it and I continue and forge forward and I'll do whatever it takes to ensure that I myself and my wife Caroline and uh, my life, so to speak, that means anything to me or anyone I'm with, there's a, a positive consequence from decisions made. And it, it isn't based on, again, uh, rich and famous, so to speak. It's more of the life pursuit part of decisions. It's more about saying yes to something that you wouldn't, you would otherwise say no to. I'm not saying be a yes man and just go about it with, you know, do everything possible because you could die. <laughs> it's more of uh, mm -hmm. the experiences that I've that I had lived when I was young are what brought me to write music and stories that I were able was able to play and convey to people and move them. So why should I stop doing that? How I got to here, I guess that's a, probably a better way to answer yeah. it. Great. So I'm a big fan of uh, just. If you ask me uh, to be part of a journey of yours and it's something that's really fucking crazy sounding, I won't take you up on it because it's really fucking crazy sounding. <laughs> I'll take you up on it because your intentions seem pretty genuine and you've asked me to come along and I'll do, I'll, I'll go at it with you. <laughs> so I guess it's, it's about the person who's uh, delivering the request. So I'll, I'll dig a ditch or absolutely, uh, hopefully fly a, an F-18 or... <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's I really don't. Hand. Yeah, no, it's true. Like it's, it really is for me personally. It's not a bucket list thing either. It's just following uh, a path of people that you appreciate and wherever it takes you, it, that's where you go with it. That's awesome. Uh, Will, you know, one thing I just wanted to touch on and literally your domain is ibreakstrings.com. I've seen you live a few times. I've heard a few of your stories about it, but uh, and literally on your merch, it says beating the shit out of his guitar since 1993. And I love that slogan. Uh, and I also even remember there was a story you said about making crafts out of the strings. I think your wife did that. But mm -hmm. I, I guess why, why is your style, why do you break so many strings? And it, it, does that actually give you some of your sound too? I'd like to know that, a little bit of the story around that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The broken strings thing, um, the best way to, to explain that is if you ever set, set up in that bar that I was referring to earlier and you didn't feel like every, anyone was listening, what would you do? 
What would any, a little what, louder. Yeah. What does anybody do when they're at a microphone at a public speaking affair or a funeral or a, uh, in a church or anything on a microphone? A microphone is a great example of uncomfortable, right? As soon as someone gets up on a microphone, for instance, to say something, they have to weigh in on or lean in or out of what we're doing right now with each other, right? Like, are you too loud? Am I too loud? If, I, if I'm back here, hey, I'd like to talk about the death of my dad. And it's like, uh, you'll have to speak louder. I didn't hear that. It's like, oh, that's fucking horrible. So, so like basically it's an audible thing. And then when you, when you're in a bar and even setting up and you're behind your speakers, you don't know that you're reaching people, especially if you're not getting a reaction. So you could be not getting a reaction because you're too fucking loud or you're not getting a reaction because no one can hear you. And both reactions to both of those tend to be the same thing, believe it or not. It's pretty bizarre. And so I think from a from way back when of setting up and not sure how to how to mix my own board, I just kept digging in five nights a week, up and down, and I would play and I would sing louder and I'd sing louder. And the more I the more I'd get into it and the more intense that I'd play, I'd start to realize people are really into this. And and it's like, oh my God, they're really holy, holy mm. crap! They're 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 paying attention now. With that also comes the physic physicality of what you're doing, and like you could watch somebody beating the shit out of an acoustic guitar and singing their ball sack off, and not even hear what they're doing, and you'll be entertained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's just that just goes with that, right? Especially if they're drinking, and they're actually kind of becoming crazy, and you're drinking. And then it now add the fact that you can hear them, and they're also singing a song that you know. Not only a song that you know, but a song that just came out on the radio, because that's those are the covers that I used to do all the time mm-hmm. from Mix 1060. I don't know if you remember uh, that, Scott. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah or oh, both of you, yeah. And Mix 1060 was an alternative AM frequency station that played the newest, greatest sh- stuff for us. So I would set Mix 1060 on a tape deck at home and record those songs and then come home and learn them and go to the bar and sing them. So the songs that were on the radio, I was covering right away that night in the bar, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. versus just covering a song that's 10 years old or whatever. And that was that was pretty remarkable. So you now end up becoming this person who's beating the shit out of their guitar, physically screaming and playing powerfully songs that people may have just heard, all that started to become this thing where I didn't know how to play guitar any differently or sing any differently. So I learned how to sing loud and play loud. And the the irony of it all is that the harder you hit a guitar, the quieter it becomes, which mm. is really funny because it loses its resonance like a snare mm-hmm. drum. Like mm-hmm. a snare drum has a sweet spot when you when you hit it and you let it resonate properly. If you smash a snare drum, it loses that. And that's no different than an acoustic guitar, but I didn't give a shit. <laughs> and I still don't to some degree. I, yeah, and I was never a finesse person, but it took a lot of years down the road for me to learn how to be dynamic. Hmm. And that's what, what I, I, I value more than anything now. I had to learn how to be quiet in later in life versus how some people start out way too quiet and way too kind and endearingly introspective and polite how they play. And it's so 
quiet and so lovely and so <laughs> sweet. And then people are like, I can't fucking hear you. So <laughs> I started out on the other end of the spectrum and probably annoyed a lot of people. <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. So you've been beating the shit out of that guitar since 1993, as Darren mentioned, you have on your t-shirts. And we've kind of touched on your first release, Both Hands. And that's, I believe, right around the 20th anniversary. You're you're planning some sort of re-release, are you not, or celebration of that? Definitely, yeah. Um, thanks to Caroline, more than anything, she has done all the due diligence and all the remarkable work at ensuring that we can actually re-release this to begin with because we now own it again outright from uh from our previous label that we were we were with on it and uh don't know how all that works because caroline takes care of all of that for us officially it's going to be re-released digitally and owned by us for the first time again since we made it um and that's coming this friday which is a huge thing and the one thing i have to say is that i'm not just saying this because i've been with caroline for over 30 years I'm saying this like if we weren't even together anymore and she still tirelessly continues to do what it is she does for us, This none of this would be would be a thing if it was left up to me at all. Uh, I just don't have the capability, the administrative prowess or whatever to do this and accomplish this stuff. Caroline's the one that makes this happen. And, uh, and I mean that. Uh, visit the website, ibreakstrings.com. That's entirely her. It's her baby. Uh, it's her world. She's the tireless merch gal at every show and has been since I've met her. It's it's pretty cool. And I didn't mean for this to go this way, but back to why Both Hands is going to be re-released is because she made this happen quite literally with obviously the original record, recording outfit, uh, Six Degrees from Calgary, Dan McManus and the whole team that did this from the get-go. So it's pretty amazing making your debut record and touring the shit out of it and being picked up by a label and them owning half of it for a lot of your life and then getting to a place where you get to own it all back again. It's not the Taylor Swift story by any stretch, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's pretty cool on a small potatoes platform. <laughs> What's uh, next on the horizon for you, Will? It's uh, another album, much like any artist. I thought I finished a record about two years ago at my home in my home studio and then listen to it again a year later and realized that it's not a not a record <laughs> but, uh, so the the long and short of it is uh all the all the albums we've done over the years with all the different ways we've done records with the different people in different studios and different budgets and you name it we've tried it and done it and it's been an amazing journey that way ended up making a record called songs uh, that i did out of my house here it's got a, it's got real really lovely intention. It means something for sure, but it's just not there because I don't. My studio is really it's really basic. I keep forging and fighting for music out of here. The more I I try to learn, the more I do. And recently, um, a good friend of mine, Ryan Dahl, who I've known for years, he actually even played with us for a while. He's a remarkable Canadian musician producer guitar player a general songsman and has a million miles of touring under his belt if not 10 times more than that we hooked up again recently and he's listening to the stuff that i made here and he's the missing link in making it all better and that's where we're going with this new album we'll be working together to uh either mix what i've done or re-record anything that needs to be done because uh we we both believe that 
there's some amazing material in there. So that's the next chapter. I'll continue to, to build fences and ride motorcycles and do all the things that I do here on the island. But the one thing that I'll never, ever fucking stop doing is playing live. Even if there's restrictions out the yin-yang that say you can't, I respectfully and will always respectfully abide by whatever rules and regulations are put forth. But the one thing I'll never not do is pick up a guitar and sing a song for a person. And I don't care if it's two people or 10,000 people, whatever it might be, I don't, it doesn't matter. That's what I was built to do and put on the earth to do, I think. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to hear the new album. As we touched on, the digital re-release of Both Hands is coming out Friday, January 22nd, 2021. Make sure you get it if you don't have it and visit iBreakStrings.com. The site's really great, has links to your entire catalog, lots of live videos and other things. Thanks so much for making the time to share your story with us, Will. Really awesome. Thank you for having me on this and uh, letting me talk this much. Well, wow, we cannot thank Will Mimna enough, known as Will. That was such a great interview, Scott. Uh, Will really offered up a lot of information and opened up to us. And it's really great to talk to such a hardworking musician. I guess, you know, now Will has dropped off the line here. But Scott, I guess, summarize w what you kind of thought of that interview and Will himself. Well, number one, kind of like the Sam Roberts interview, I really love just how personal Will was. He gave us way more than we asked for or he needed to, and I really learned a lot about the guy. That was great. The thing that's always amazed me about him is it must be hard as hell to, to make a living, to actually pay the bills, to make a living in this business. I think it just seems like it gets harder and harder, but he seems to do it. He seems to, in non-pandemic times, have lots of gigs. I see him playing private gigs. And he clearly still absolutely loves what he does, right? Like it seems like he loves it as much as he probably did in those early bar days. Yeah, I agree. And at, right at the end there, he was basically like, you try to pry this guitar from my cold, dead hands. Now, he didn't say yeah. that, but pretty much he was like, you know, he just finished by saying like, I will always play for one person or 10,000. So mm. that, that really moved me. I think, you know, you really realize uh, when people find their passion and pursue it and don't let anything get in between it, it's it's quite noble. And uh, Will definitely exuded that that feeling. Yeah, and he seems to do things he loves. And I liked how he talked I can't remember the word he used, but in the intention, if people ask him to do things and it's the intention's good, like building fences, right? He, I, I don't mm. know if he really needs the money to build fences, but it seems that he likes the person who owns the company and that guy has pride and Will likes to do some manual labels. So he enjoys building fences. He also very much enjoys making music. So I love the fact that this guy has passions and he follows them and his life is all about following his passion. And if more of us could do that in our lives, boy, the world would be a happier place. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Just, you know, an excellent, an excellent man, human being, and just obviously dedicated to his craft. And uh, yeah, and just seemed like a gentle, good soul that's out there to do good. So yeah, that was a great interview. Really happy to catch up with Will that's, you know, known quite well across Canada. And uh, uh, if you don't know him and you've listened to this interview, definitely go uh, listen to his stuff. And, and if you ever get the chance to see him live, and I think that's where he really thrives. And I know mm -hmm. you and I have seen him live several times. That is 
the key. He just has the crowd in the palm of his hands. I've I've seen big acts in the in the Saddle Dome or other big venues with 10, 20,000 people and the bands might not have stage presence or not they're like here's our next song and they just bang it out, bang it out, bang it out. But Will is not that. So I think try to see him live if not at least support him buy his merch, download the albums, pay for them, uh support a great Canadian artist like Will. Yeah, enjoyed the episode a ton. Be sure to go to thesoniccollective.com. Check out the show notes. We have links to all things Will. You can also go to ibreakstrings.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. We'll be back in not too long with another specialty episode with some sort of musician. Also remember every month, the root of what we do is picking an album, listening to it and sharing our thoughts. So thanks so much, Darren. Why don't you take us out? Yeah, thanks again, Scott. Thanks again, Will Mimna, known as Will. Uh, couldn't have enjoyed this episode more. For the Sonic Collective of Scott Coates, all the way in Bangkok, Thailand, Will was from Qualicum, BC, and I'm here in Calgary, Alberta, but we're signing out. Thanks, and join us next time at thesoniccollective.com. Mm-hmm.